you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Are you listening? And welcome in to another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines. I'm joined, as always, by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, who is going to try to be our resident USC expert today, I think. Yeah, we, uh, I guess. We were, we were hoping to have uh, a USC expert guest with us, but last minute uh, didn't didn't work out. So we are... We're, we're a little frazzled, but we're going to try to power through this and provide some sort of insight on the Trojans, I guess. But uh, Angie, how excited are you for Saturday's matchup against the seventh best team in the land? Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I think a lot of you guys know I grew up a USC fan. I don't really know why I became a USC fan, but I always I loved USC. So um, anytime that I get to Corvallis, it's always kind of fun. Obviously, you know. Um, for at least the last, like, what, 30 years, I have been more of a, an Oregon State fan. But um, just a, a good team. I, I think they're on the on the up right now with, with Lincoln Riley, and there's a lot of excitement around that program. So, it, and like we've talked about here on the pod, it might be the last time that USC comes to Corvallis for the foreseeable future. So um, I'm excited to see a sold-out Reeser. The students are back. It should be a rowdy, crazy sta- uh, crowd. Um, and while I, I'm not feeling as confident as I was preseason that this would be a win, and we'll get to that a little later, um, you know, anything can happen when uh, when Oregon when USC comes to town. So I'm anxious for this game. No shortage of talking points ahead of what I think is Oregon State's biggest game of the 2022 season. I mean, we're, we're looking at a top 10 team coming into research. Oregon State still undefeated, looking to continue to build momentum. Uh, as it opens Pac-12 play this week, this is uh, about as tough of a conference opponent as you can get for week one of that portion of your schedule. So uh, really, I, I think as far as we're concerned, this is Oregon State's biggest game of the year. Um, I, I know they've got Utah looming next week. They've got a, a rivalry game against Oregon later on. Uh, Washington looks pretty good, but um, for our purposes, I, I, I think this is probably the game of the year, right? Yeah. I mean, Carter, I think you can feel it. Um, you've, you've covered this team now four years. Um, I know your schedule has gotten crazy busy with media requests. Mine has, I think I did three different hits yesterday. Um, one being for CBS sports HQ, which will air Friday. So um, we'll, we'll make sure to pop that over in the lodge as well. But, um, you know, you always know it's a big game when all the big time media outlets start asking for, for you to come talk about the beef. So um, this has been a busy week for, for both of us, as well as content, tons of content coming out. Um, it, it just has an excitement feel to it. 
it really does have that big game feel. And you hit it right on the head. I mean, I don't think I've been this busy during a game week in maybe a ever, long Carter. time. Maybe yeah, ever. Yeah, because you haven't been around. I mean, I, I think the last time I was this busy was probably in the 2012 season. So um, it is a big, big week. It's a good kind of busy. There there are weeks where I don't mind working until 9 p.m. every night. And, and this is one of them because we're previewing a game that I think has a lot of nuance to it when you talk about the kind of the bigger overarching storylines of USC moving on to the Big Ten eventually, Lincoln Riley bringing this program back to prominence, Oregon State being undefeated to start the year. I mean, there are a lot of big picture elements at play, but then on the field, you also have a mashup against what appears to be two of the best con- or two of the best offenses in the conference, potentially the best in the country in USC. Um, improving teams across the board, it uh, it it really does have all of the makings of, if if not a classic, and in, in terms of you know close score, it just it just has the feeling of being one of those games that we remember for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like I said, it, it's watching that USC. I, I guess I thought preseason that this team would probably be working out some kinks, new coach, new system, new personnel. That offense looks scary good at, at USC, and we'll, we'll dive into that here in a minute. But um, Oregon State, you can't cut, you can't knock on that offense either. So um, I, I know we'll get down to that in the USC side of things here in a little bit. But um, yeah, unstoppable. I'm looking through our notes here just because we're kind of winging this since um, we don't have our USC expert here. The Trojans are putting up 40 plus points and 500 yards per game so far this season, Carter. And they have played um, Fresno State, Stanford, and Rice. Rice, I you know, isn't crazy good, but they have a, a Pac-12 game already. What what are your thoughts when you look at that offense? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I just want to shout out everybody in the YouTube chat for dropping all right sorts now. of great stuff. We're going to touch on as much of that as possible. I, I think we'll have time to get to all of those comments and questions uh, given that we are kind of winging the first half of this episode this week. Um, but uh, yeah, so shout out to everybody for uh, for following us on YouTube. And and if you're listening to us on the uh, on the audio side, uh, we apologize. It was super short notice that we were going live on YouTube. So if you missed us, um, thanks for thanks for finding us there. Hopefully we're making for um, some good uh, some good drive down to Corvallis content or your, your Friday evening content. If you're watching other college football games and listening to us, who knows? doesn't matter. We are, uh, we're here to, to provide this preview for you no matter what time you listen to us. But I'm drinking water, by the way, I just wanted to, didn't want you guys thinking it was three o'clock and I was drinking a cocktail already. Yeah. I've got some, uh, some sparkling water here from Costco myself, but, uh, yeah, that USC offense, Angie, that, that you just mentioned, I mean, they've scored at least 40 points in every game they've played. Obviously we're, we're still early on. They've, they've played three games, but uh, 40 points in each game is about as good of a start offensively to a season as you can ask for. Uh, they're averaging over 500 yards per game. I mean, this Trojans offense is is just absolutely loaded with talent. The scheme is obviously substantially better under Lincoln Riley than it was ever in uh, in Clay Helton's tenure and, and certainly uh, last year when Oregon State was facing an interim staff too. Uh, the scheme was was not as top notch as you're seeing under uh, one of the best coaches in in college football. So I think there's a lot of challenges personnel wise, scheme wise, um, 
you name it for for Oregon State to to face this week, and I know that they have their hands full. Yeah, I the biggest one though, you know, I mean, you can look at the Jordan Addison. They have Travis Dye who transferred in from Oregon. This is you know basically turned into transfer you, um, yeah. just with all the new names. But the one that stands out to me who really has proven to be the real deal is quarterback Caleb Williams. He can beat you with his arm. He can beat you with his legs. And that's what concerns me a little bit about this matchup is that um, if Oregon State isn't able to establish a pass rush, what he'll be able to do in that um, run pass option offense. Yeah. Lincoln Riley kind of built this roster in a very 2022 way. I think, you know, this is a a case of a, a coach coming in and, immediately bringing with him arguably the best quarterback in the country. I mean, I know Bryce Young's back at Alabama after winning the Heisman last year, but I think Caleb Williams is right in that conversation already in 22 and and obviously uh, played at Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was there. So kind of made sense for him to to land in in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and he has, he has proven to be the real deal. I mean, I don't have his stat line pulled up, unfortunately, but I know he's thrown for uh, eight touchdowns already. I think he's up above 800 yards. His completion percentage is above 70%. So, I mean, as far as quarterback play goes, you, you really can't ask for anything more there. He's holding onto the ball too. I mean, he hasn't thrown an interception. And in fact, USC's offense hasn't turned the ball over a single time through three games. So um, just the leadership that they're getting from from that caliber of quarterback, you know, a, a five-star guy. Um, he is he is living up to every expectation that that Trojan fans had for him. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So I was on a national radio show yesterday, and they brought up Chance Nolan and Caleb Williams as two of the top quarterbacks in the Pac-12, if not country, right now with their stats. Mm-hmm. But they also brought up Chance Nolan's two picks. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, though; those two picks came in deflected balls. Correct. Well, one of them was a. Uh, oh, kind it was, of he was that, throwing out of bounds. It was the quote unquote chili dip throw <laughs> yes, to the yes. to the sideline. <laughs> That's right. The one he was trying to chuck out of bounds. That's right. And then one was a tip yep. ball, I believe, to Tyjon Lindsay. Yeah, um, it was. It should have been pass interference on Boise State, and and Lindsay couldn't hold on to it. So okay. Anyway, um, how are you thinking about their defense, however? I think if there is a chink in this um, USC program, it is still that, especially that defensive front, Carter. Do you? see that you know Oregon State was able to gash them last year this is a different Oregon State offense do you think that defensive front has improved what is what is your kind of off the cuff thought on that any defensive line that has Tuli Tui Pelotu <laughs> on it I think is gonna be pretty good I mean the, the guy is an absolute beast and, and probably one of the best linemen in college football um, he was a, a freshman All-American a couple of years ago uh, all Pac-12 first teamer I believe last year and has picked up right where he left off, and I think he is the guy on that front seven. I know they've gotten some some performances from a couple of other players over the last couple of weeks that they didn't necessarily expect. Um, Solomon Bird, I, I believe, is the name of of one of the linebackers or linemen. It's again the the exact names are are slipping my mind here, but um, no, that that defensive front has improved from last year. The back end of the defense in particular, I mean, they brought in Makai Blackman from Colorado. He's already got a pick. Um, This defense has has forced 10 turnovers through three games. So while the offense is taking care of the ball, the defense is taking it away. Uh, And I I think you you put all that together and you've got a defense that is, is stronger against the run and is 
clearly a elite against the pass, it's going to be tough for the Beavers offense to move the ball against him. Yeah, that's, you know, Oregon State has eight turnovers. Um, so like I said, this, this game on paper is a lot, um, is a lot more evenly matched, I believe, than when you actually kind of watch the two teams. But what I'm anxious to see is, you know, this is a USC team that is built to go and score fast and really kind of knock you off your feet before you even really figure out that you're behind. So I think Oregon State really is going to need to control that line of scrimmage. And then it'll be interesting. There was a discussion in the lodge today about potentially kind of hitting them with their own one-two punch. If Oregon State could get out early, how that cult, you know, how the cult team culture will adapt, you know, will they fight back? Will they be stunned? Um, this is a team that I feel that Lincoln has helped with the culture of the team and the, um, but again, this is a group that has been kind of piecemeal together just over the past couple months. It'll be really interesting to see how Oregon State attacks this. It's a good point about USC getting off to strong starts because I, I believe in the first three games they have scored on their first three drives and yes. and have some crazy uh, first quarter stat as far as touchdowns are concerned as well. So I, I've seen this question already come up in the YouTube chat. Um, I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw this one up here. If you're watching us live on YouTube, the, uh, the, the, the comment from Patrick Moen here, if the Beavs win the coin toss, they have to elect to receive in my opinion, says Patrick. And I completely agree there. I think the fact that USC has got off to these hot starts and obviously it's, you know, carrying over the rest of the way, Oregon state has to do everything in its power to score early and often. And usually we see the Beavers, if they win, defer to the second okay. half, kick the ball off and, and take it in the second half. I don't think that's the approach this week. I, I think the approach is is putting up points early. If you can get out to a 7 nothing advantage, you're throwing USC off script right away because this is a Trojans team that is is used to playing from ahead. Um, shoot, I don't even know if this team has trailed this year. Yeah. So um, I, I, I think... Any I mean, USC likes to, to do that. I mean, USC, right. that's what they've been doing. They've been getting the ball if they can to start the game and then, you know, scoring as quickly as they can. So I think that definitely has to be the the Beavers, if they're able to win that coin toss, get out, control the line of scrimmage, um, control the, you know, keep, hold on to the football and score early and, and knock them off their um, kind of their usual, like you said, script. I'm curious, Angie, what what uh, we just talked about with the USC defense, the turnover piece, and this obviously has been kind of USC's calling card so far. Um, well, I, I guess the Trojans' calling card has been their offense, but um, the turnover margin is just kind of another key to, I think, their hot start. But defensively forcing 10 turnovers and and returning a couple of interceptions for touchdowns. I mean, they have multiple pick sixes already. I'm curious for you, somebody who obviously has watched college football for, for, you know, decades and has followed it closely at Oregon state for a while. Um, how much of that do you think at USC is luck? I mean, turnovers are turnovers can be fluky sometimes. And, you know, they're a talented group. They they're schemed well by Alex Grinch, but at the end of the day, uh, some of these, sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. So where do you kind of draw that line when you're looking at a team and, and you see they force 10 turnovers, you know, where do you draw that line between luck and skill? Yeah. I mean, I think it's both. I mean, USC definitely has a lot of talent in the, in their defensive backfield. 
you know, this is a team built. I mean, we've said it year in, year out that they were this scary team just because they had so much talent on the roster that if anybody, they were kind of the sleeping giant. But when I think, when I look at turnovers, you look at a couple things. First, their DBs play very aggressive. But second, you have teams playing from behind and sometimes behind by quite a bit. So they have to be throwing the ball. So that just ups the odds of, of getting some turnovers when you have teams desperate and they're chucking the ball up, trying to trying to make something happen. So I, I think when you when you see teams start getting in desperation mode, they start trying to throw the ball, try to score quickly. That's what's going to happen. And it just kind of keys in. Teams become more one dimensional. They, you know, USC knows that they're not going to run the ball anymore because they need to put up two, three, four touchdowns. They know um, that these are going to be pass plays and it gives them a little bit better shot to read some eyes and, and decide which way it's going. So I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we've seen two. I mean, a tip ball, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of luck involved as well. But I, I just think when you have teams playing from behind, it becomes a lot easier than to kind of create those turnovers and kind of make your own luck. I like the point you made there about USC getting up early and forcing teams to throw the ball because that's oftentimes how you get back into games. That's how you manage the clock when you're playing from behind. But when Oregon State went down to the Coliseum last year and and frankly just, I mean, kind of obliterated that USC team, particularly in the second half, a lot of what the Beavers were getting was on the ground. And and again, I don't have these stats from last year pulled up, but I, I believe Oregon State was right around 300 yards on the ground. I mean, yeah. it, was, uh, it was a dominant showing in the trenches with Oregon State's offensive line just setting the tone and getting just incredible push. I think that was thinking back to last year, that was one of the main takeaways you and I had was just how dominant the Beavers looked at the point of attack. So Oregon state with its running game, maybe not necessarily being as efficient this year as it would hope. And as we become accustomed to and USC forcing teams to throw the ball a lot more, do you feel like this game might look a little different from Oregon state's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Oregon State's going to need to establish a run because I think it's really, really going to be important that they control the clock and kind of grind, you know, grind out wins, keep it ground and pound kind of game. But this team isn't the same as last year. I think last year's Oregon State squad had a better offensive front. Um, I think BJ Baylor had better vision. And not to say that Deshaun Fenwick and Damian Martinez and Jam Griffin can't get there. Um, I just haven't seen the vision from them. They're missing holes. If you're in the lodge at Beaver Blitz, Peter 71 has been doing an amazing breakdown weekly of the offensive line and the trench report and actually showing in film where the running backs have missed their read and it's caused either a loss on the play or a very short gain, which if they would have made the right read, it would have been a big gain. So that is where BJ Baylor, I think, excelled was the fact that he was able to read the field, read his holes, but he also had a little bit, maybe a little stronger offensive line. I want to see the Beavs get there. I want to see them be able to run the ball because I think controlling the clock and keeping the ball out of USC's offense is going to be a key to this game. That being said, this year's team, Carter, you and I talked about this earlier today off, off the record here was this team's, I, I would say is more balanced than last year's squad though. You know, the, the passing game is coming along and the opportunity to make some big passing plays downfield or is, is something that last year's team didn't have. So um, I think you miss, you mix in a few of those when it looks like a, a smart thing to do, but hopefully those running backs can can find their lanes and really establish a run. And, you know, this is a game that I'd love to see a couple, you know, seven minute, eight minute drives. 
Clint Moses made a great point in the chat, and I'll throw it up on the screen here. That it's kind of a it kind of foreshadows our keys to the game, I think, but it fits into this conversation we're having right now about Oregon State trying to move the ball against USC. And Clint says USC has been giving up explosive plays, both running and passing, but has been called bend but don't break. Oregon State, meanwhile, is fourteen for fourteen in the red zone, and I, this is this is a great point because. USC, you look at their scores, you know, the the amount of points they give up to Rice, Fresno State, you say, okay, that's that defense is pretty good. Stanford, I, I think, only managed, what, like 24 points against them, uh, around, you know, 24, 30, somewhere in that range. Um, but these teams are moving the ball. They're getting down into the red zone and um, onto USC's half of the field, but then those drives are just kind of stalling. They're settling for field goals. They're turning the ball over. Um, and I think that is... I think that's promising for Oregon state because it has been a strength of the Beavers to score when they get down into the red zone. Um, the Beavers, I, I think are going to be able to move the ball against USC. And, you know, I, I know they've forced 10 turnovers and I know they have an all American caliber player up front in, in Tupelotu, but USC isn't a, a, a team that is going to force you into a bunch of three and outs. Yeah. It's no. the kind of team that is going to let you move the ball, but then come up with big plays when they're needed. And I think for Oregon State's offense, opportunities arise there where, you know, the Beavers have gotten big plays through the air. We saw them last week kind of break things open in the running game a couple of times with some 20-yard runs. Those are the kinds of plays that will beat a defense like that. Um, a, a team that's a, a bend but don't break kind of team. Well, if your offense is predicated on the big play, that's how you score touchdowns because you're not going to be able to do it down in the red zone. So I like that matchup from Oregon state's perspective, just because I think the Beavers will be able to move the ball. And if they can break a big play or two, um, you could see them playing a much tighter game than USC is used to, which again, like I said earlier, um, kind of throws the Trojans off script, which is, is a key to beating a team that has a ton of confidence right now. Yeah. And they have a ton of confidence. Their fans have a ton of confidence. Um, if you haven't been over to the Paris dial, it's our 24 seven um, sister site for USC. Their fans are pretty confident over there that this is going to be pretty much a cakewalk. So I don't know, Carter. I mean, that's why they play the game. And sometimes those are the, the fun ones to go to just because anything can happen, especially with Oregon state. I, I feel that this is, or, you know, last year was a great win for Oregon state on the road, but I feel that this team is better, maybe better matchup wise. Then last year's team, I think Oregon State secondary matches up really actually very well with the USC's um, def or offensive wide receivers. So um, I'm anxious to see what this game, like I said, if they can handle Caleb Williams, to me, the defense's biggest problem this year, and you know, Oregon State has that bend don't break defense, is the fact that Caleb Williams can move. And so mobile quarterbacks have been a little, little iffy, but then I go back to Boise state that early Boise state game was Oregon state completely stuffed their uh, Bach, Hank Bachmeyer and gave him no time. If we can see a little bit of pressure like that, put some pressure on Caleb Williams, it could get uh, interesting real quick. Perhaps another uh, foreshadowing moment for our keys to the game. Um, a couple of Remember, questions. We were supposed in. to be joined by USC right. football staff. So, <laughs> Carter and I are doing the best we can. Uh, questions coming in in the chat about um, some, some injuries and, you know, who's who's going to be out. 
are, are certain players coming back. We're going to get to that in a few minutes on the in the second half of the show. Uh, provide some newsy kind of stuff that came out from Corvallis throughout the week. But uh, wrapping up this first half where we just kind of deep dive into USC itself, want to touch a little bit on the job Lincoln Riley has done there because we've talked at length already about what USC has done on the field this year, the the talent that that squad has, and, and for good reason because they're playing like a college football playoff contender. Um but the program as a whole obviously has has been all over the news this offseason, whether it's the announcement to join the Big Ten in, in 2024, whether it was the hiring of Lincoln Riley, the the transfer portal um, extraordinaire that, that he pulled off, bringing all of these former five-star, four-star uh, players into the program. Lincoln Riley has in his first six months on the job, I think had a, a more productive career than uh, than the last couple of USC head coaches combined. Is is that fair to say? I mean, totally I mean, the way say. he has turned this program around in such a short time is absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Well, he's also been met with some good timing it, with the whole NIL stuff, the yeah. um, the transfer portal. I mean, there's been a lot of moving pieces. Um, to this to make his job easier. But I do think he brings that energy. He brings um, an exciting offense, which obviously is always going to be a high flying offense is going to sell tickets and get the fan base excited. But I think more than anything, he's actually really helped that, that culture, the team culture. And we've talked a lot about Jonathan Smith doing that in his past couple years and how, and I, and I say Oregon state was a broken team when Jonathan Smith took it, took it over. And I would say far worse than USC ever was. Um, but Lincoln Riley, you know, this is a team that's been through several coaches. They've lost games. And these are young men that aren't coming to USC expecting to lose any games. I mean, they are five-star kids that have been told their whole life. They've won everything they've played. Um, but don't underestimate the job he's done in building that culture, bringing in all of those five-star transfers. So to be able to keep that morale high with your own team and your locker room when you're bringing in transfers – um, it's, it's not an easy task because you have guys in the locker room that still feel that they're can get the job done. And then all of a sudden you're bringing in new guys and to keep that team morale, that locker room on your side, when you're brand new like that, it, it is not an easy job. To that point, and, and this came out of the, the USC game notes or, or report at, uh, at uscfootball.com the the 24 seven sports affiliate for USC. I, I can't remember which of those two it came from. Cause I've been, on both of those things consistently throughout the last few days. Um, but to that point, one of the things that I saw this week is that the team has absolutely 100% bonded around the fact that everybody in that locker room is a either new to the program or B is learning a new scheme. And the fact that everybody is on the same page in, in that, um, you know, in, in that grain is, mm -hmm it's something that they have bonded around. And I think that has been kind of one of those pillars that the USC culture has been built upon is, Hey, we're all on the same page here. We were, you know, you guys were all four and five star recruits. You were all the best players at your high schools, but everybody's competing for jobs right now. And, and everybody is learning the same things at the same time. Nobody has a leg up. There's no coach's favorites or whatnot. I mean, Caleb Williams, maybe coming over from Oklahoma. Uh, I would assume he was probably guaranteed the starting job. Um, 
but no, I, I think everybody is kind of on the same page and they all feel like they're working towards this, the same goal, which we have seen at other programs. I mean, Oregon is a prime example of ta- talented guys coming in, coaches coming in with all of this buzz and whatnot, and, and things just don't quite click. And, you know, in, in Eugene, that has led to to key letdown losses. And, you know, we've seen that culture break a couple of times, most recently under Mario Cristobal. Um, but but Lincoln Riley is is having none of that. And I think while he built this roster in a very unique way and, and maybe a way that we haven't seen in college football before, he has done an incredible job of keeping everybody together, which I think when you look at the way he built that roster, that's not a guarantee. Yeah, yeah. With that, with that many egos, um, I could say Jonathan Smith has done similar um, building his roster, but it's been a totally different coach. Smith has been building it with, you know, the three star four star, you know, three star guys that you build up, develop Lincoln Riley was like, okay, we're going to go buy the best team we can get right now with our NIL and, um, and winning helps when you're three and O dude, everybody loves the coach when you're three and O and it's when you start facing some adversity is when things can maybe go a little sideways. So let's see how, you know, this Lincoln Riley love fest continues um, you know, if they go 10 and two, I'm sure Trojan nation and all the players will be jacked up, but, um, should things go a little sideways, which I'm not saying it will, um, but that's when things can maybe the, 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 uh, shimmer of that gold maybe can tarnish a little bit. One last point before we move on to the next segment here is, man, it's, it's sad to think about this, Angie, but this could be USC's last trip to Corvallis for the foreseeable future. I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say this is their last trip to Corvallis ever, but it's hard to imagine a world where a Big Ten USC team makes the trip out to Corvallis to, to play a team that, um, you know, obviously on the West Coast is has been a, a middle-of-the-road program at best. There's, it's one of those situations where, I mean, Oregon State went out to Columbus to play Ohio State. It went to Ann Arbor to play Michigan. Those kinds of teams aren't coming into Corvallis. So I think it's um, it's it's unfortunate to think about, but have you kind of come to grips with the fact that this might be the last time we yeah. ever see the Trojans at Reeser stadium? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, there's no reason for them to, to come to Corvallis. And that's one of the, the things when you actually are looking at scheduling that USC doesn't like coming to Corvallis. It's a, no. it's a trip. It's usually the, you know, the weather's going to be good for them this, this time around, but you know, sometimes the weather's bad. Um, they and, generally and really, lose. When they, they have the some, time. yeah, they, they <laughs> run into major buzzsaws named yeah. Sammy Strotter and Jacquez Rogers and, but, you know, teams that are going to travel out of conference to take on an out of conference power five opponent, they're doing so a lot of times because, oh, they have a big alumni base in that location or it's a big recruiting base for them. Um, so it makes sense. Oregon State, Corvallis, Portland even is not a big alumni base for USC. It is not a big recruiting base for, for USC. I don't think we see them unless something changes down the road and and they we get a mega conference or something like that. But no, I think this might be the last time for quite a while that we see the Trojans in town. USC is probably thrilled about that. Oh, completely. Um, Oregon State fans maybe in, in some way are, are thrilled that they're not going to have to see USC, you know, a, a rebuilt USC program every year. Um, but I think as far as the tradition element goes and kind of the, the history of, of these two programs and everything that makes college football great. It is really sad to see something like that go because 
that is what makes college football great. You have this team down in Southern California, this absolute powerhouse that has all of the resources in the world, has probably the best recruiting base of any school, um, not named Alabama or Georgia. And every couple of years it goes up to, you know, farm, farm town, Oregon, and in front of a, a couple of thousands of fans, it, it gets upset on national TV by a true freshman. You know, that's, that's what makes college football great. And the fact that we might not see that between these two programs again after this year, yeah. and I, think that's- I think it's a, a great opportunity for Oregon State to get one last you know, throw one last punch and, and get one last uh, program defining win over the Trojans. But moving forward, it's it's sad to think that we probably won't see that again. Yeah. And that's, I, you know, game day did a really cool segment this last weekend on um, the Sun Belt. They called them the fun belt and how they mm-hmm. were going in ruining parties. But, you know, the, the whole resurgence of the Sun Belt Conference really was built around regional rivalries and and kind of those and that you're right. That is what makes college football great. And that's what we're losing right now. So hopefully, you know, at some point, the powers that be realize that maybe regional rivalries are better for the whole sport than these giant mega conferences. And at some point, USC, well, maybe USC won't care as much, but, you know, the rest of the Big Ten, I think, is going to be scratching their head when they're sitting in a Rose Bowl with 10,000 fans. Dude, USC, good riddance. Or not USC, <laughs> UCLA, good riddance, because, gosh, that's an embarrassment. Are we ranting? Yes, are, we are. are okay, we, let's, are let's we talk beavers. A little bit? Okay, let's talk some beavers. I sound like a grumpy old lady, so yeah. let's let's talk some beavers. Before we do that, let's remind everyone that beaverblitz.com is the place to be throughout Oregon State's 2022 football season. The beavers are off to a strong start, and so are we. You guys have helped us grow to an all-time subscriber base high. So thank you to everyone who has already jumped on the Beaver Blitz bandwagon. We're Glad to have you, and and we want more. Let's bring uh, let's bring more Oregon State fans into the mix. Grow this community. Um, those of you who are watching us live on YouTube right now, I mean, you guys are helping us crush our numbers on YouTube right now. We are growing so quickly. We need to hit a thousand. Let's get to a thousand subscribers yes. on YouTube by. Mm, what's a good goal, Angie? By the end of October, I don't know. Yeah, At this rate, I mean. It. We're shout like out to shout out to these shout out to these listeners right now. Are you listeners I mean, that are on YouTube watching us? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and help us spread the word. And then the lodge, um, yes, we've added. We are an all time high at Beaver Blitz, and the lodge is becoming more and more active and more and more fun. So we thank all of you guys for that too. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. News from throughout the week in Corvallis. Angie was down there on Monday to uh, take in Jonathan Smith's weekly press conference. Went for, what, about 12 minutes this week. So kind of a standard Jonathan Smith uh, Monday, I, I guess. But a couple of newsworthy points came from that and this will answer a bunch of the questions we've got in the chat already and angie since you were there i'll let you break the news uh on on the injury front here yeah i was actually surprised because coach smith led with 
Trello and Luke Musgrave will be out this week. And I actually thought we might get the old day to day um, from him. So um, he called them out um, on Monday. And if you're a Beaver fan, which I think most of you guys are here in this chat, what stuck out to me was Coach Smith saying, Luke Musgrave, he's not ready to say he's out for the season yet. So to me and Carter, when I, when I told Carter that, Carter, Carter had the same thought. When coaches say that, that's coach speak for more than likely it will probably happen at some point. But um, not good news for Luke Musgrave that he even threw that out, um, that it would be he's not ready to say out yet. Um, all the other injuries, Marco Brewer, Andrew Chatfield, um, who am I missing? There was Mark, another um... Oh, well, Riley Sharp left in the in the middle of the game. Um, who else missed? Or, well, Everett Hayes left. Um, obviously, he he missed that extra point in the field goal and then didn't return. Uh, so he was he was lumped in there with that group. Um, um, so yeah, he said those guys are all day today. Now the good news on all of those is that I nothing visible. I mean, it wasn't like anybody had braces on or slings. So I did see a question about Trey Lowe earlier here about asking um, asking if it was a non-football injury. And from what I heard earlier, um, okay, it's not physical injury. I, I actually do believe it is. Um, I believe Coach Smith said a couple weeks ago it was a re-aggravated injury. Trey has had a ton of knee issues over the years, so he did not say it was knee, so I am not going to say it's knee, but he said he re-aggravated an injury. So, And that was in week one, so I, I don't think one. either of us really noticed him leave with an injury I, I think that was probably something that just kind of cropped up after the game um and unless you noticed maybe he missed the fourth quarter or something i, I can't remember yeah. but um that was one i remember that uh, that monday press conference afterwards being like oh really i yeah didn't even didn't even notice that um isaiah newell also missed oh, right. last week that is a non-football injury is what we were yeah. told but he was at the game this in portland and he's been listed as kind of day-to-day week-to-week so um, without Trey Lowe there, maybe you see Isaiah Newell crack that rotation at running back if, if they want to get a fourth guy in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all day today, I, I, Coach Smith is going to keep everything super close to the vest on that. Um, and then one thing Coach Smith wanted to bring up, too, was just the fact that the students are back. And so school started. Um, oh, Angie, I, I'm going to oh. interrupt you real quick. Sorry, yes. but we forgot Alton Julian. Oh, Alton um, Julian, yes. So, so Alton Julian was – before the Montana state game, I think was Jonathan Smith kind of hinted towards maybe a potential return yes. for that game against the Bobcats. I, I think we had this debate on Sunday after the game about, you know, whether you want to throw him to the, to the wolves against USC or, or risk re-aggravating the injury, bringing him back a week early. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Alton Julian this week. Yeah, me too. Maybe in, maybe in a limited role, but yes. And he was completely suited up for the game against yeah. Montana state. So yeah, good yeah. call. On All that. right. Move along. Um, Sorry. I no, interrupted in... you there, but that's no a, worries. That was You're an good. Important one. I, I interrupt you half the time, Carter. So it's all good. <laughs> um, home field advantage. Students are back in session. Um, school started yesterday, Wednesday um, for Oregon state students. And um, coach Smith actually addressed the fact that yes, school started. And that means that he's already talked to the team. There are a lot of distractions now that all the students are back. There's really no homework. So there's, he said, there will be things going on Wednesday night and Thursday night and, and Friday. Friday. Night. So, um, although said, Friday night, they will be staying at the team yes. hotel and uh, where, where are they staying now? Lebanon. 
Yeah, something like I th- that. I but... think so. I, I can't remember for sure. But just trying to keep them kind of focused on the and, and you know what? Past teams I would have been worried about this this team is so veteran and such a strong um, leadership from within. I I don't really worry about especially, you know, the starters, the two deep partying. So um and they'll yeah. I think I think they would crack down. I think Jaden Jaden Grant might go ahead and just bench someone himself if somebody was out partying. Um <laughs> A seventh year guy, maybe he has the um maybe he has the leverage and the right yeah. to do so. Yeah, I um, mean I, I just like the the strength of the the, the player led leadership and, and these guys have things yeah. dialed in. They are wearing the same uniform combo they wore in two thousand eight. So black lids, orange jerseys, black pants. Yep. Harder so, you like that look? Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, kind of the fact that they've got distractions now, schools in session. And I guess uh, there's every, a lot more girls that... on campus too. So there's a <laughs> lot more distractions. Um, as far as distract, distractions go, I mean, the the history between these two programs could be kind of thrown into that mix, I guess. Uh, but Jonathan said, they're not showing them 2008 highlights. They're not rolling the tape from 06. You know, they're not <laughs> breaking out the... I don't even know if they have film from the sixties that the giant killers, that three, nothing win. Um, but they're, we they're not do on our TikTok channel. Do we actually? Yes. I believe I we that. do. Anyway, maybe, Oh, maybe great I, content on, maybe the, uh, on I the just Beaver gave Blitz something style. away, but I yeah. think we do. But anyway, okay. Yeah, no great content on the, the Beaver Blitz TikTok this week, by the way, I'll, I'll throw that out there, but um, no, they're, they're not reliving or rehashing any of the, the history there. No, David and Goliath with Sammy Strotter giving stones to everybody. Dang it. But the fact that they're wearing the same <laughs> uniforms, <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, so somebody in there is aware that, you know, they wore the black helmets, the orange jerseys, the black pants. Somebody in the athletic department within the football program is, is very aware of that, whether that was a, a player led decision to wear those combinations uh whether that came from the equipment staff i don't know but well the equipment staff's been there since like 98 so they are aware of all the history um that was basically the the extent of the stuff that that came from jonathan smith's press conference a lot of stuff um you know was just directed at scouting usc and everything and and if you're really curious about um the the coach's comments and whatnot on the trojans you can head to be blitz.com we've literally never had more content during a game week. So um, no shortage of stuff there if, if you want to read up on what they're saying about USC. But some of the other interviews that uh, that we got throughout the week, Brian Lindgren, Trent Bray, both the coordinators, of course, and then uh, some of the team captains. My takeaways from those, the offense is still not satisfied with where the running game is. Uh, we talked to Jake Levengood. I asked him specifically, you know, is this, is it an offensive line problem? Is it the running backs not seeing the holes? And, you know, it got kind of the answer I expected and it's, you know, everybody's working together and it's, you know, nobody's clicking, nobody's firing on all cylinders quite yet. Not necessarily entirely concerned just because I think last year we saw it take the O-line a couple of games to get rolling. Um, I think the running backs will develop better vision as as the season goes on. Damian Martinez is still a true freshman, mind you. So, um, you know, Angie and I have both been saying, hey, maybe he breaks out against USC like Quiz did. Um, not going to predict it, but, you know, it's a, a couple of games into his career. Maybe he starts to put things together. So uh, the running quiz, game. Speaking of Quiz, I just have to give a little plug because tomorrow we run staff picks. And we may or may not have a guest picker by the name of Quiz. 
just just maybe. just stay tuned maybe maybe not we'll see <laughs> Hey, we, we may or may not have multiple guest pickers. This we week, may or so. may not have multiple guest Do we pickers. have that many be- uh, Benny Beaver heads to, to go around? I mean, I don't know, man. We, I don't we, know. We gotta, I'm we just saying. I pulled out some stops. The old Rolodex is flying <laughs> this week, Carter. I love it. That's the, uh, the Beaver Blitz staff picks will be up on the site Friday morning as per usual. Defensively. Yes. Trent Bray really emphasized the fact that this game presents challenges in, in all three levels. You know, the defensive line is going to be tasked with going up against a, a USC offensive line that brought back a ton of talent from last year. Um, I, I know they've had some injuries at left tackle, but I think they're pretty confident about their ability to move guys around. They've shown improvement there in protecting Caleb Williams. So Oregon State's pass rush certainly has a, a pretty tough t- challenge there. In, in the defensive backfield, obviously defending Jordan Addison, going up against a passing game that's led by Caleb Williams is a challenge. Trent Bray addressed that as well. And uh, he was asked, actually, this was a kind of a, a fun question from, from Nick Daschle the other day to Trent Bray at that interview. Um, he, he asked Trent to, to compare Caleb Williams to a quarterback that he schemed against before. And you know, Trent kind of took a, a second to think about it and threw Marcus Mariota out there. And obviously, if you're comparing anyone to a former Heisman Trophy winner, that that says a lot. Yeah, Marcus was a is truly a great one. Um, but so, Carter, I just want to ask you this because I actually said this yesterday on one of the I think it was Pac-12 radio or I don't know. Like I said, it's been crazy. So do you like I am intrigued by this matchup with, with Alex Grinch, Trent Bray, and then Lincoln Riley, John, or Jonathan Smith. I just, I think there's, this is such a chess match with these guys. I think they're all very good at what they do and they're all thinking way ahead of, you know, what's going on in the field. So I'm anxious to see how this plays out. Do you see this as a chess match between the coaches? hundred percent. I mean, these are some of the best coaches in college football going up against each other right now. I mean, Brian Lindgren is, is very highly regarded as, as one of the better offensive coordinators out West. And if, if not in, in the country, Alex Grinch, of course, has, um, I, I think been, you know, one of the, the standards in, in defensive coaching for a long time. Now, Lincoln Riley, of course, as I said earlier, is, widely considered to be among the best head coaches in college football. And Jonathan Smith has built this program up from the ashes. So you have coaches all across the board who have, have proven their ability, who are very, you know, widely and highly regarded. Um, There is going to be certainly an element of, of trying to outcoach the other team. And this year, I, I feel particularly confident about Jonathan Smith's ability to go up against a staff like that, because, I mean, you only have to look two weeks ago for a prime example of Jonathan Smith just flat out out coaching another team. I mean, yeah. Oregon State out coached Fresno State at the end of, and that that's game. a veteran, very good coach in Tedford. Yeah. So yes, I I I see um I see the chess match there that that yeah, you're alluding to. I just to. think it'll be I think it'll be really interesting. Um, just kind of changing gears though, just to give fans that maybe were at Boise State a few weeks ago and and said that the sound system was not good. One thing that was announced this week is that they are bringing in a temporary sound system for the remainder of the season so that um, they've been testing it all week. And when I, when I spoke to Sarah Elcano, she was really excited about what that will bring. 
Um, and then they also announced next year they'll have different lighting. LED lighting system is coming in for the stadium in 2023. So a couple more updates, but um, the sound system is great news for uh, all those that will be in Corvallis on Saturday night. My thoughts on that. For one, the sound system, very much needed. I, I've heard you know complaints from a lot of fans saying, oh, we were up in, in section 222 and we couldn't hear a thing from the PA system. And I mean, I, I get it. Like it, it totally makes sense when you think about it. The speakers are all on that side of the stadium. And in the past, it hadn't been a problem because there was a giant grandstand, you know, 60 yards across the field that was kind of reverberating the sound and, and sending it back to um, the, the east side of the stadium. But now that that's not there, all of that sound just kind of gets lost. And so if you're sitting up in the wings of Reeser or if you're kind of under the, the balcony there on the lower section, um, I, I can see how that might be a concern. So putting 40 plus speakers on that uh, that bottom row of, of seats on the new side, right below the temporary press boxes, will um, it, it will send sound back that way. And so I think you'll um, I, I think that'll fix things in a big way. It'll probably make things a lot louder in the press box too, because we're going to have a bunch of speakers like two rows below us now. So I'm curious how that's going to play out. Hopefully we can hear to the DJ even better because the DJ has been on point lately. Okay, Carter, I know everyone in chat and everybody listening want to know what your keys to the game are. Offensively, what is your main takeaway key to the game? Okay. So this is, again, Angie and I always, you know, we, we come up with our keys. I put mine in the rundown, um, but I, I kind of let her surprise me if, if she has something else. So I'll give mine first, Angie. I don't know if you've got something different here, but mine uh, is, it, it goes back to the point that uh, that somebody made in the chat earlier about how USC has kind of been a bend, but don't break kind of defense and, and teams haven't really had much success against them in the red zone, in the red zone. My key to the game offensively for Oregon State: don't leave any points unscored. You have to you have to value every opportunity you get uh, in in a shootout type of game like this could be. So, Oregon State has to limit turnovers. They have to maximize their possessions defensively. You got to try to take it take it away a, a time or two. Um, not to not to give away my my defensive key or anything there, but um, creating and and taking advantage of as many possessions as you can offensively is absolutely key in, uh, in in a shootout. And when you do get down to the red zone, like I think Oregon State will be able to do on uh, on a regular basis, you have to capitalize on touchdowns. Settling for three points is not going to do it against USC. Turning it over is is not going to do it, and we saw that kill Stanford a couple of weeks ago. You know, the the Cardinal ended up losing by thirteen, but I think had they capitalized on their opportunities in the red zone, they would have scored enough points to win that game. So, um, Oregon State being perfect in the red zone so far is, um, you know, it's it's something that the Beavers can hang their hat on, but it's 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 definitely going to be important this week to keep that trend alive. So. Okay, do you have, I love. Do you have I do actually have a different similar one. Or, okay. Well, that is important, and I, I'm not. I don't want to say that it's not because that's they have to score on every opportunity they have. But my my big key is they need to establish a run game and be able to control the time of possession. If you limit USC's offensive time that they can have the ball, that limits the amount of time they can score. So my offensive key to the game is to get that ground game established. Give it to Damian Martinez and Deshaun Fenwick and. Let them pound it out and control the clock. Another With yours there, being which, a close second. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they both kind of come hand from the hand. same place yeah. of 
you know, you, you just, you have to, you really have to value the ball in a game like this where USC is probably going to score at will just because it has against everybody so far. Um, value valuing the the ball and and making sure that you have it more often than not that's that's how you win those kinds of games defensively this Oregon one State i think has we're on to, the same i think we have are, the same page okay here. okay um you want to go then or, or do you want me to well I, yeah myself? i'll go because we have the same i'm looking at your notes and it's the same thing i have is that's establishing a pass rush oregon state has got to put pressure on caleb williams because i think we've seen when he's under pressure is when he isn't at his best and that's not saying he's still not, but that hasn't happened very often. It hasn't happened very often. Exactly. So um, I would love to see Oregon state put some pressure on him, um, make him get out of the pocket, maybe make him force him into some bad decisions. Um, nobody's perfect. And he hasn't been pressured. So if Oregon state can establish that pass rush early, um, I maybe force a couple takeaways too. Again, it's, it's keeping the ball out of their hands. I'm not entirely confident in Oregon State's ability to generate pass rush against Caleb Williams. Yeah. And that's more just the fact that we haven't seen it since Hamaka Rashid left back in, what, 2019, 2020. Um, under Trent Bray's leadership, it was something we expected to see more of. I think we saw a decent amount of pass rush against Fresno State. The Beavers mm-hmm. just didn't get home against Jake Hayner. And, and that's the key this week is... You know, you can send as many guys to Caleb Williams as you want, but if you're not actually getting to him, if you're not forcing him to throw the ball away, if you're not sacking him, it doesn't matter. And and quite frankly, then you're at a disadvantage because you have less guys downfield to tackle a Jordan Addison type, yeah. um, who you know is going to make plays with his hands and his feet. So it's not it's not even just about generating the pressure. It's it's mostly about getting home and, and finishing the play which is something that Oregon State's pass rush and front seven and, and defensive line have not done, like I said, for a couple of years. Um, and if, if there is a week that they need to do it, it's it's this week. So uh, a, a big week for that group, for sure. It's a huge, it's a huge group or a huge week. Those are our offensive and defensive keys to the game. If you come back here on Sunday, we're going to revisit those, kind of analyze how Oregon State did uh, with regard to those three keys because Angie had a a separate offensive one from me, but with a couple of minutes we have left here, there's a note from Twitter today that Angie, I I really wanted to dive into and and get your thoughts on because it, um, it caught me by surprise when I saw it. So I really should have the tweet pulled up. In fact, I'm going to do so right now. Here we go. Max Meyer from Caesar sports book. Uh, tweeted out some insight from from Caesars this morning, uh, the official sportsbook provider of CBS uh, CBS Sports. By the way, more money has been put on the or more money has been bet on the Oregon State spread alone than any of the game spreads in the sixteen NFL games this week. That's crazy, incredible, and not not just that, but there has been over three times more money placed on the Oregon State spread alone than any other college football game spread this week. I mean, <laughs> like these superlatives are are just like, yeah, I, I mean, PM these are in the chat just said someone placed 110,000 on the Beavers. So what, what do these guys know? What, that's I what mean, I, so that's why I wanted to create a, a discussion around this because this line, and again, I don't know what it opened out at, at Caesars. You said earlier when we were on the phone that you thought it opened at, at 13 and a half. And if that's the case, then I see where this is coming from because yeah. 
the rest of the market pretty much opened around oh man seven Six seven and a half, and a half. Seven, yeah um it's it's now down as as low as as five and a half in in usc's direction so if caesars did open at 13 i can see why all this money is being being put on on oregon state to to beat the spread but i i yeah i'm curious what people are seeing that that lends them to believe oregon state's going to cover the spread because every time i i come back to thinking about how I see this game unfolding. And every time I make a prediction, I say, man, I, I just don't see a world in, in which USC doesn't score at least 40 points. I, I don't see a world in which Oregon state keeps up enough and, you know, and, and scores 40 to 50 points and wins this game. So um, to see this spread at, at five and a half right now, how surprising is that to you? Hey, well, you know, fans know what's going on. They're super Trojan in the, uh, in the chat over here has kind of been funny. He's been popping off over here and he said, someone lost 110,000, but, I actually think I thought maybe Superfan bet that hundred and ten thousand as confident as you are about your Trojans. Um, I, you know, you always have to take Vegas. I mean, people don't put that much money when they don't know something, so it's interesting to see. I'm not a better, so I'm not the best to talk sports betting with because I'm too busy covering um, Oregon State that I just don't understand and I don't get it. So. Um, DraftKings did a promo bet where you only use their platform and get USC minus 13 and a half. Huh. Good insight, PM. Because I'm, I, again, I was curious. Angie brought up a 13 number earlier when we were yeah. talking on the phone, and I was like, that just doesn't seem right. So yeah. if, if that was, if that was where you saw that, Angie, that, um, that does make sense. But yeah, it's, it was a little baffling to me when I woke up this morning and saw that tweet, and I was like, That's what? Crazy. Like, everybody is on Oregon State. But I yet, mean, the fact yeah, that nobody this wanted is, to, no big TV this is the most bet spread in football this week at any level. And it makes no sense to me because Oregon State, by my estimation, I think more often than not, I'm landing on USC winning this game by multiple scores uh, more often than I am by Oregon State keeping it within a, a touchdown. So I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting. And I, I know you kind of agreed with me there. So Yeah, yeah. Like I said, you never know. Maybe, you know, Jonathan Smith's been talking to someone and telling him, you know, Jaquiz Rogers is suiting up or something and had one more year of eligibility. I'll say this. There are a Brandon lot Cooks of is Oregon coming State. Back. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of Oregon State football fans out there this week. So if if for nothing other than generating support for uh, for the program one week at a time, um, this is uh, this is a positive trend for, yes, for Oregon yes. State. But uh, before we get out of here, as as we usually do, if we have the time, just want to highlight a couple of other Pac-12 games this weekend because, well, this is is probably the biggest game in the conference this week. There are some others that are really intriguing. Don't tell Washington State and Oregon that this is the biggest game because <laughs> yeah. Oregon fans think they are always the biggest game. I know I'll have uh, Cougar fans in my my Twitter <laughs> mentions for the next three days. Um, Action on the West Coast gets started at 11 a.m. on the Pac-12 network with UCLA going to Colorado. Um, dumpster fire in Boulder. <laughs> <I'm gonna say. laughs> yeah, UCLA is a 22-point uh, betting favorite there. Wow, uh, and UCLA isn't even any good either, so that's kind yeah. of funny. Number 15, Oregon goes to the Palouse. Six-and-a-half-point favorite at Washington State. That game's at 1 p.m. on Fox, so... Uh, great exposure for the Pac-12 there, getting uh, a two and one Oregon team going to a three and zero Washington State who, team. Who do you have on that one, Carter? Who do you pick to win that game? Just outright win. I don't. I don't care about. You have Oregon. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've got Oregon, and I, I would pick Oregon to cover that spread as well. I, I think Washington State, while that win at Wisconsin was impressive, the the Badgers outgained them by like 100 yards. Washington State really struggled against Idaho in week one. I don't know if it was a fluky win at Wisconsin, but I think the Cougars still have a ton to prove. I, I think if you're looking at 3-0 and records in the Pac-12, Oregon State's is, is more impressive to me than Washington State's, even with that win at Wisconsin. Okay. In the afternoon, we've got Arizona going to Cal. This, uh, of course, is uh, a rematch of last year's um, COVID game, I, I guess you could call it, where Arizona played a, a Cal team that was without a ton of guys and, and got its lone win of, of 2021. Cal's the three-point favorite there. Number 13, Utah, goes to Tempe to face a Herm Edwards-less Arizona State team. No idea what to make of that game. Arizona State's probably either going to lose by one or 50. I don't think there's any in between there in their first game under an interim coach. What's yeah. your, before, we, we don't have much time here, but just your thoughts on that situation in, in Tempe? I, it had to be done. It was kind of surprising how they did it, like, right after the game. Like, that was kind of when you can watch it, right. You know, the president and the AD meet him in the end zone and you, you kind of know it's yeah. happening, but um, that's just a dumpster fire. I, yeah. I mean, you had players leaving, you had the recruiting scandal. There's just a lot going on there. I don't think we've seen the last of the, no, we the, the downfall of the Arizona state football program rounding out the schedule. Another seven thirty game that, uh, that Utah ASU games on ESPN, my, uh, by the way, Stanford at number 18, Washington, seven thirty at, on FS1. Washington's a 13 and a half point favorite there. Really interested to see if Washington can keep its momentum rolling yeah. after that big win over Michigan State last week. I think Stanford's a, the kind of team that could go in and um, give them some problems like we see so often in those Pac-12 after dark games. Uh, one of those one of those momentum killers there. Potentially. What I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, what I'm, and I don't mean, I'm going to rant again, but what I don't get here is the Utah, Arizona State being picked up by ESPN and Stanford, Washington, FS1 is fine. But how in the hell did Oregon State, USC fall to Pac-12 net? I just, I know, I know it's been explained 57 times and I just don't care. It's stupid. A discussion that I want to have next week when we preview the Utah game, because that game is also on the Pac-12 network yes, yes. Uh, and is of a very similar caliber to this yes. one. So a discussion for another time is as we are out of time here, but Thanks to everyone again for, for joining us live on short notice on YouTube. Thanks for finding us on your favorite podcast app. Uh, we're available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, hopefully hopefully you, you get a chance to, to preview this game before you make it down to Corvallis on Saturday for Oregon State's game against number 7 USC, 6.30 p.m. at Reacher Stadium. Games televised on Pac-12 Networks, as Angie just said. Uh, we'll be back here for another episode of the Dan Podcast on Sunday to recap the game. At 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock on Sunday? Yep. We're uh, we're sticking with the the, the 3 o'clock theme this week for, for USC. Um, head to beaverblitz.com tomorrow, Friday, for staff picks, a couple of other little uh, pregame content pieces as we wrap up our preview of this matchup. And then on Saturday... Uh, Beaver Blitz will be in Corvallis. Game thread, live updates, and uh, and some recap coverage as well. Until Sunday, Angie, we'll see you on on Sunday. I won't see you at Reeser. Eric will be there. Yes. Um, but the, I'm a I'm a casualty of a small press box, guys. Yeah. 
yeah, this is we, we had a feeling this week there would there would be some casualties as as far as the the space in a. But a I will be doing the game thread. Games. I will still have a game thread going live, um, and it'll be it'll be lit as the kids are saying these days. For Angie's lit coverage of <laughs> Oregon State football, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado One. You can follow me at Carter Baines. And we'll be back on Sunday for another episode of the Damn Podcast. Thank you.